to episode 13 of the podcast for the season. We're back again. It's, um, yeah, third podcast um, in quick succession. Um, so, yeah, welcome back on the podcast, Dan. Here to talk about Paul Hurst and the transformation that he's created in three days. Evening, Ollie. Not awfully happy, Ollie. You know, I, <laughs> I went to Exeter away this season. You know, I, I, went, I went to Boston in 2003 and I still haven't got over that. And yet I couldn't get there yesterday. And the sense of regret is large. And it was my own fault I couldn't get there yesterday. I'd arranged stuff. So, yeah, bring the podcast on. Bring all the hope and the optimism and the enjoyment from yesterday. I'm a, a willing listener. And uh, yeah, welcome back on the podcast, Chris. Um, you sat next to me and Mike um, at Northampton yesterday. Um, a great day. And um, are you still buzzing? I, a beautiful day, Ollie. I am absolutely. Absolutely buzzing. And as you say, I sat next to you guys yesterday. It's our third pod in eight days. And I genuinely think I'm spending more time with you than my wife and children at the moment. I mean, you know, bring it on. And welcome back on the podcast, Mike. Still buzzing. The vibes are up to 10 or maybe even 11. Uh, yeah, my vibe is turned right up to 11. I am absolutely loving life. I woke up on a Sunday. First thing I thought about was football. And that's the first time that happened in a very long time. Uh, saw my kids, they were still absolutely flying off yesterday as well. Um, just a real feel-good day and the first one we can think back to in, in a very long time. Um, I can't wait to get into it, yeah. Can I just say, I've got alcohol with me. I don't normally drink on podcasts, but I, I felt I had no resort, so I've got a nice glass of red wine to keep me going, just just, just so you know. It's going to be that bad, it's going to be horrible, but I'm loving every minute of that horribleness. Good to be with you. Yeah. I'd interest, yeah. Interesting question before we kind of dive into it, Dan. Um, did you get a sense of the vibes on the day from social media? Just, I'm just interested, actually, for those who didn't go, did they get a sense? I tried to share quite a lot of videos and stuff as well, and uh, um, just to kind of share that experience. I think that's a good question, actually, Ollie, because sometimes people are so much in the bubble that you remember there's only, you know, a set number of people in the ground and it's you forget what it might look like for them. And I was actually doing something during the game. I was playing myself, so I couldn't, couldn't go. But in the run-up to the game... And certainly, um, immediately after the game, it was it was almost impossible if you're a Shrewsbury Town fan and use Twitter, for example, to to avoid um, seeing how much people had enjoyed the day. And and the great thing about it was 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 not it, it wasn't just what was happening on the field; it was what was happening off the field. It was tone, it was optimism, and and that came through really really clearly. Um, and I, I think that's that's one of the key messages from the day. You know that the optimism is back, and even if. We don't suddenly become Brazil 1970. There's plenty of reasons to believe we might be a bit better, quite a bit better than we were before. Yep, fantastic. So, yeah, on that note, let's jump in right into it. Away eventually. Off it goes to Holt. He does really well. This is Humphrey. It's 2-0 Shrewsbury Town. Well, Humphrey made the first for Holt. Coming to this game, Shrewsbury were on a terrible run of form. Obviously, uh, Matt Taylor had got sacked um, out of the last eight games. Um, so um, we'd we'd only we'd only won one, um, and we'd lost seven and eight. Um, and obviously, as, as everyone will know, obviously going to this game, we only scored four goals away from home in fourteen, um, which now means that <laughs> on Saturday we scored thirty three percent of our away goals. So now it's, it's six and fifteen. And I didn't I haven't been able to go to many away games this season. Um, I did go to Stevenage, and me and Chris sat next to each other at Fleetwood, Chris. Which means between though Fleetwood and Northampton away, um, me and you sat next to each other and saw fifty percent of our goals this season away from home, which is a crazy stat. It's not a bad record, is it? Yeah, my son's been to both those two games as well, and he's very happy to say that he's seen half of our away goals because he's only been to those two games. And it's bizarre, really, because until this season he'd been to four away matches. You know, he's only eight years old, and in those four matches we'd lost the ball. This season, he's been to two. And let's face it, it's been the worst season in, probably in living memory for Shrewsbury Town away from home. He's been twice and we've won them both. So I have said maybe he needs to go every game. He seems to be a lucky child. But yeah, it, was, uh, it wasn't bad yesterday, was it? And even that Fleetwood game, I mean, that was a win. But it wasn't. we didn't leave that plate that day feeling, feeling like we did yesterday, did we? Uh, Fleetwood was a, a smash and grab, which was, was bizarre given that we played half that game with... Uh, playing against 10 men so yeah it was a it was a proper smash and grab whereas yesterday was a thoroughly merited thoroughly deserved victory yeah no it certainly was I should have said in the intro and um, we're bringing the old agenda back out for this game so yeah started with some stats we're going to go through the team selection and um, some of the highlights of the game for those who weren't there um, and then we'll um, obviously talk about all the the changes and kind of you know 
the, the comments and stuff as we go through the game as well. Um, so I'll just quickly go through the team. Um, so this was um, kind of joy to particularly Chris. Um, Dan quite likes three at the back, but then you also quite like four at the back, Dan. But yeah, very interesting. Team sheet comes out at two o'clock. I was in um, Popeye's, um, that Louisiana restaurant just over the road from the um, from the stadium, having a very nice chicken burger, I must say. Team news comes out and you look at the team sheet and you're going, hmm, that's quite interesting. It could have been um, a five, two, three, whatever you want to call it, um, but it wasn't. It was four at the back. Um, we were watching the players line up just as I had to kick off, and it was clear they were playing four at the back. Because, and of course, Winchester in particular was in the middle of the park, so that was fantastic. So yeah, um, let's talk about the formation. So yeah, four three three. Um, three four, Mike, were you pleased to see that we, the Hearst has changed tactics? Delighted. Another another thing that's come back from sort of the the Hurst era that was his go to tactic uh, in his pre, in his previous spell here. Um, I, I'm always more of a fan of having four at the back. It means you can get more bodies forward, and that proved to be the case uh, in the match we watched. You know, we were far more able to get the ball up there under the pitch and keep it there because we had more people to to go up and support. You know, what had been under Taylor, the, the one or two that were chasing around after it. Um, so it felt like a really positive change of formation. Um, and with all the sort of other positivity we've talked about around Hurst coming in and 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 freeing up the players and, and letting them go and play, it felt like he was giving them the framework to go and do that in as well by saying, you know, I trust you to only have four back there. Go and try and score goals as opposed to what we have been used to seeing. And let's just defend this out and try and nick one. Um, and and you could you could hear it sort of reverberate through the crowd a little bit as well when when the team came out and people worked out it was a four at the back. Again, you know, the the, the away end was already you know turned up pretty high, but. You could see people sort of buying into the renewed approach as well, rather than I think what a lot of people, including myself, thought we turn up and, and Hurst would stick with what we had been playing and try and tweak around the margins, because it's a big risk to just sort of change it all completely in the in the course of two days. But he's been brave, he's been bold, and you know the results speak for themselves, don't they? I think. Yeah, and Chris, did you expect to see that? To be honest, no, I don't think I did. And the, I mean, the reason of that, probably the day before the game, I spotted something else on social media from Stuart Dunn, who'd been uh, tweeting about Hurst's first game of his first spell in charge. When uh, So he came in in 2016, it was October, and our first game under him then was South Endelway. And he went down there and he did tweak the team, but the formation, he stuck to a three at the back that Mickey Mellon before him had been playing, probably because he felt he didn't want to, you know, do too much too quickly, as it were. So I thought maybe the approach this time would be the same again. And even though I expected we'd end up with a four over the coming weeks, I didn't necessarily think it'd be after two days of training, as it were. So, yeah, I thought I thought they'd take their time over that. I was surprised, but pleasantly surprised because... Let's face it, I've whinged about it a little bit on this pod a few times. It's it's not something I've I've enjoyed, not just under Taylor. You know, I don't even just blame Taylor for this. We've been a, a 3-5-2 team now under our last three managers. And under all of them, I would say we've struggled to play entertaining football. We've struggled to find wing backs that could genuinely get down, get balls into the box and create chances for our team. And it's been at times frustrating to watch. So I've been very much craving a change and it was fantastic to get that change. And it couldn't have gone any better, could it? I mean, it was it was unbelievable to see what exactly the same players can do compared to what they have been doing up to now so far this season. Anyway, you'd think we had seven or eight debutants on the field yeah, on Saturday rather than, you know, literally the same squad. So, yeah, loved it. And Dan, it was um, when you saw the team shooting, obviously, you know, the team um, that played now. Um, I think it's quite well-balanced team, actually, and it's not too many... Um, you know, um, round pegs in square holes or whatever. You know, wrong way around. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. I think I think I'm going to agree and disagree a little bit with with Chris there. I do. I think it's important to remember you you don't know what the counterfactual is here. And Chris's point about South End's an interesting one. It hadn't occurred to me about that. But I, I wonder what we would have played like uh, if it had been three five two. And I suspect that those same players who suddenly look a little bit better than they did before would probably have played a little bit better as well. Now, I'm not saying that 3-5-2 is the way we should stay, but I definitely do agree that I thought we'd drift towards a back four. I wasn't sure we were going to become a back four overnight, and clearly it worked. And that's why, you know, Paul Hurst is a, is a good fit for Shrewsbury Town. But, but I also think that those players would have responded in some way, shape or form, even if we'd have had a 3-5-2. The second point linked with that, I was very interested to, to look at what the role of Kenner was going to be because Kenner, I've warmed to Kenner over the, the past four months, but I've warmed to him in the knowledge that 
he's also part of the problem because he can't keep the ball. Now, he can win it back, and he's pretty good at winning him back. But if you're playing 4-3-3 or anything vaguely similar to that, and he's your middleman, I don't think it works. Now, maybe he'd rise to a challenge. Maybe he'd become a different player. But I'm interested to see that he wasn't in the first starting eleven. And, of course, the obvious man to be in that position is Winchester. And from what I can tell and what I've read, and, and you guys will be able to tell me more, Winchester looked a bit more like the Winchester we we think exists. So straight away, Hurst is doing doing things. He's been a little bit brave, but he's also doing things that I think make sense. And I feel a bit for Kenna because the way Hurst is going to play, I don't think we're going to see a great deal of him. And it's football for you folks, right? He, he, he may not have that much game time left. I don't want to tempt fate. I don't want someone to get injured now. And, and we do see a lot more of Kenna, but I do think this system... It's not the way to go for him. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. Yeah, if you look at the, the the lineup, you know you've got the four defenders who are defenders, as you say. But go through them, Mike. That, so, you, so what was the team? Oh, well, so the team was for yeah, anybody that, that hasn't bothered catching up. And if you haven't, why haven't you? Do you know what I mean? Um, Morosi was in goal. We played for four three three, like we say. Uh, Dunkley and Pierre at the centre centre backs. Uh, Benning at left back and Feeney at right back. Um, Winchester played in sort of the the deep line central midfield pivot, if you will. Um, he was that sort of shield. And then that allowed Bayliss and Perry to play a little bit further forward through the middle with Shipley and Bloxham. Shipley on the left wing, Bloxham on the right wing, um, sort of coming inside. Or more often than not, going to the byline and whipping crosses for Udo, who was playing through the middle up front in his own. And when you look at it from Winchester forward, they are all players who want to pass the ball forward. You, your point about Noah Kenny, when he, when he gets the ball, more often than not, it's sideways and backwards, which there's a place for that in football. You know, retain the ball and, and, and you know, take the pressure off a bit. But... Winchester particularly, I thought started, and he he sort of he sort of led by example from the start. He was the he was the guy flying into tackles on the second minute. He was getting the ball. He was playing it quickly. He was looking for the return. And some of the passes he was playing forward, particularly in the second half towards the away fans, were cutting through two lines of opposition players and releasing Bayliss down the left and Shipley down the right, and, and really making things happen. And he was a man reborn on Saturday. I think when Winchester put his best game in. Uh, since you know, definitely since he signed permanently, I think, um, and he was the catalyst that got us going. You know, I think he 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 got everybody to realise that there was a game to be won there. I think, and he was, I thought he was excellent. Can't say enough about him, considering he's played most of the season bummed out a right back as well, where he just did not look happy. Um, yeah, a long way we continue to see that from him because he fills a big hole in the middle of the pitch that we've been saying is he the right guy. And on yesterday's performance, he was. Yeah, I think. Yeah, he was outstanding. I absolutely agree with that, Mike. He shot, and I agree with what you said as well about him raising his game from the start. It was noticeable, wasn't it? He he seemed full of adrenaline, and he was charging into those tackles, but he was coming out cleanly with the ball. You know, he, his aggression reminded me of what we used to get from Josh Vella, but without you know the slight craziness. You know, you, you never felt that Winchester was a walking yellow card, which Josh Vella always was in a Shrewsbury shirt. So, yeah, it was great to see, and he wasn't the only one, was he? Who you definitely thought raised their game yesterday, and maybe that's to be expected like Dan said, under a new manager. But I think some of it is as simple as putting players in positions that suit them. And for Carl Winchester, we saw that. And the other one that really stood out for me was Tom Bayliss, who's a player who's had an awful season, if we're honest, up to now. But there was there was more on Saturday of the Tom Bayliss that we all know and love from last season. He looked like that creative spark again. He looked like a player who can make things happen for a football team. And, you know, I don't want to expect... We, there's that danger of comparing us all the time to Hurst's great team of 17-18 but I saw in Bayliss what John Nolan used to do for that team I suppose you know there's some there's somebody who could make things happen and there was evidence of that and we all know what a quality player he is so that was exciting for me as well I hope that's not a one-off performance and we get to see more of Tom Bayliss playing like that over the next few weeks. Yeah and that comment it brings me on to another thought we had and not to get into the minutiae of the day and, and never get to the match but we were all in quite early weren't we? I mean, Chris, you were in before we got there. I was in three quarters and had four kickoff. Ollie, you were you were in you knocking around as well. And we all commented on the intensity of the warm-up and the change in approach in in the pre-match as opposed to the the Matt Taylor days, which always seemed a little bit half-paced. You know, gone is Marcus Big not getting the center halves out to the side of the pitch and kicking the ball in the air for them to head back to him. It was a really tight, focused, energetic passing square with you know the sort of the, the floating contributors and that, and it looked really high tempo and then when they came out from the tunnel really pretty much they all looked so keyed up and they were sprinting around and I spoke to a couple of lads who stood in front of us and said we've got to be careful we don't pick up some injuries before the match starts because they're not used to operating at this sort of intensity pre-match but they, it, the intention was there even before the, 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 the first whistle blew they were up for it and they had been prepped 
well, I think properly by the looks of it. Um, so it was it was really interesting to see. And I think it's fair to say, um, comment about the formation. There's obviously, you know, there's lots of nuances that go into football. You can't just change formation, can you? And you change everything. Um, and I think the, the fact that we we passed the ball, it was clearly instruction. Also, pressing from the front as well was a, a key element. Um, but the players, the players who remember Bert and Albion, like less than not that long ago, about a month ago now, over Christmas, we were literally hoofing it. The same players now were playing it out from the back, passing the ball, keeping it, not rushing. Um, and they generally looked like they looked, they looked happier. They looked like it just looked just looked better. Um, and we'll go through the, kind of some of the details of the game. Yeah, we'll go go through some of the details of the game. But it was just it was just great to see. Um, and obviously, everyone was very happy to see Paul Hurst on the sideline um, in his GLA. It also reminded me a bit of what Jordan Chipley said. You know, we will get better. And um, he obviously knows these players better than we do because he sees them every day of the week. And I suspect a few of the senior players thought, well, we, we can do better. And clearly, something about yesterday has helped them get better. So regardless of what happens moving forward, um, he was right. And I think it's worth noting that. And he was trying desperately to find ways of getting that message across to some desperate supporters at the time. So we're excited to see Paul Hurst. Uh, he didn't do the the warm up that we were just talking about. That was that was run um, by Doigi um, and Parish um, and the Beast. Um, so it's worth knowing that Parish and the Beast are still there, um, and it seems that the fitness coaches and stuff are all the same as well. Um, so many we have so many staff now than we used to. <laughs> it's quite funny. We have a lot more staff than we used to have in the old days. Um, so the game started. Um, it's clear, obviously, we said we we're going to play with a back four, um, and we started we started bright. Um, shooting home fans which were chanting. Um, and it didn't take too long, I don't think, really, for, for like the, the best best chance to kind of come to the half. Um, Ado wins the ball, um, Boxer runs forward to Bayliss to Shipley again, that passing movement. Um, ball comes into um sorry, I've just done that wrong. I was just thinking about the, the main chance. Sorry, I've copped up there. I'll start again. So first chance, first chance comes from Ado winning the ball. Again, Shooter Town pressing and winning the ball. Bloxham runs onto it. Um, Bayliss sets up Shipley, who shoots, and it goes wide um, for a corner. Um, and then Pierre won the header, but unfortunately it went high and wide. Um, and then the best chance of the half um, came to Shrewsbury again. Um, pressing, Shrewsbury time pressing, wins the ball. Shipley crosses the ball, comes to a doe, sets up blocks him, hits the post. Um, and that would have been a fantastic return, um, Chris, for, for Bloxham to score that goal. And I think at that point in the game, we were very much on top um, and looked like the most likely team to score. Yeah, we did indeed, and it was a it was a good effort from from our vantage point behind the goal. It wasn't the easiest to see, was it? We were saying at the time I wanted to see it again just to see how good a chance it was, and I have now had a chance to watch it back on television with a better shot, as it were, than we had live. And yeah, you know, it wasn't maybe it certainly wasn't a glaring miss. I was a bit worried watching it. Oh my God, has he just missed a sitter? Has he just hit the post with the goal gaping? But actually, having seen it again, you know, it's a decent effort. Yeah. And it's, it was so, so, so close. And it would have been lovely to see that go in because, yeah, Tom Bloxham, one of our own, as it were, he's come through our system. And you, we want to see players like that being successful. So it's good that Paul Hurst trusts him. It's good that Paul Hurst is getting him straight into his starting lineup. And I hope he can thrive from it. And yeah, that was that would have been a perfect moment for him. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite encouraged about what um, Huygen Hurst can do with um, Bloxham. Obviously, remember McAtee leaving Shrewsbury Tarrant. Went to Paul Hurst to Grimsby. Um, that got, then got that move um, into to the Premier League, and he's now obviously on loan in League One. But he's a player that's really progressed under him. And Paul Hurst um, has a reputation and a record of improving, improving young players. Um, so yeah, first half comes to a close, Mike, and pretty pleased with what you saw. Surprised as well. Yeah, we were stunned. I think we were all sat there looking at each other, and I can remember talking to talk, turning to you, Ollie, and saying, "What? What have we just watched?" Who are these players? What is this team? They look like Shrewsbury Town, but there's almost nothing I recognise from the previous however many games this season that we've watched. It was it was startling the impact one man can have on the the, the approach, the outcome, the, the the dynamism in the team. That you know we were passing the ball, we were we were creating chances. It was it was very impressive stuff. I mean. Double that again for the second half, and we'll get into that. It went it went to eleven in the second half. We'll keep going on with that one. But um, there was another chance. We had a corner, and and um, I think it was Bayliss took it, and he picked out Shipley on the edge of the box. It wasn't a ball in for a big defender to head. We were trying to 
we were trying to surprise teams with creative thinking from set pieces. It was, it was, you know, there's not enough words to describe how different it was. And it was so encouraging. And it just reminded you why you like football. It was um, mad, really, yeah. And on that corner, that was not something they'd worked on. Paul Hurst said they didn't have time to work on set pieces. So that was the players themselves um, doing that. Um, but yeah, that, that corner was a highlight of the half, Chris, and a good a good half of football from Shrewsbury. Yeah, good. But at the same time, we went in at half time and it's nil-nil and we've given it a good shot. And, I, you know, the natural pessimist as a Shrewsbury fan, I'm thinking, one, can we sustain that? Two, the Northampton coaching staff have had 45 minutes to work out what we're doing. And I was a little bit worried that second half, Northampton might find a way to to, to um, bring the game to us, as it were, and it could all go wrong. And I could I could still see us easily losing that game. And I'd have left thinking, well, we were better, but nothing to show for it. So, yeah, I was cautious at halftime. Much as I was pleased, there was that nagging doubt of what's still to come. But, you know, I, I needn't have worried because, as Mike says, you know, I think turned it up to 11 is exactly the phrase to use because, as we'll go on to talk about, it, it just kept getting better. And that's what really blew me away. I think I saw something in one of the social media groups that I'm on from someone who'd been watching the game on television. And apparently in the Northampton commentators that made a comment at halftime, something along the lines of uh, Shrewsbury have played as well as they can. I don't think they can get any better. We certainly can. So the attitude from the Northampton end, obviously, was that, you know, they, they were going to improve and it was their game to win still. Well, they got that wrong, didn't they? <laughs> they certainly did. Um, Paul Hurst in his post-match talked about how he was a little bit concerned um, how the players might react. Maybe they burnt too much energy. He did say, um, I was waiting for this to come in. It happened in the first post-match interview, how fit are the players? And he said he was going to find that out in the game. So, you know, it's always funny new managers talk about fitness levels um, of previous regimes. Um, he didn't actually say they weren't unfit, just to be super clear. Um, but he was just saying he wasn't sure how they were going to react to the second half. Um, but it's fair to say second half, as because Chris said, just got better and better. Um, we started the, the, the second half well. Um, Shipley had that good shot. Um, again, behind being behind the goal, Mike, we weren't quite sure how close that one was. Yeah, it was, a, it was a very good effort. He sort of bends it in with his with his right foot, try and catch it into the back post. And it, I don't think it was a million miles wide, but encouraging to see Shipley shooting again, to see people backing themselves to score goals. And when we've got this different formation with more players up there, you can have a shot and the keeper spills it and there's people to follow in to score goals. It creates some of the shots we have. We create a bit of chaos as well with the Northampton back line where they have to hack it clear for a corner. And that sort of positive mentality and having players supporting you can create more opportunities as well. It's not always about just well, whether Shipley scored or not. It's what does it lead to and what does it create? So, yeah, again, it was, it was, um, and, and that was a surprise for the second half, just to go back to Chris's point. We're so used to half times this season, sucking all the air out of the balloon. I don't know what Matt Taylor was saying to the teams at half time, but we would have the odd good first half where we were competitive and we were in it and they would come out second half and we would just fall to pieces. And Pizza so, right. yeah, Chris is, yeah, exactly, exactly. Case in point. And so Chris's point is absolutely right. Um, and to see that not happen again, it's just like, what are we watching? What have they just gone in there and done a load of very, very strong Red Bull? You know, is, is that what we got them onto? But yeah, it was um, to come out and, and start well on the front foot and, and you know, shipping nearly score. Yeah, it led to, to plenty more other good stuff, didn't it? Yeah, it did. And and Benning and Shipley, I thought, was great. I, I don't know whether I'm doing 3-5-2 at a service, but I always feel that four at the back and having wingers just creates more partnerships. And I thought Benning and Shipley were forming a really nice partnership on the left-hand side. Um, opportunity came from those guys um, where we had a nice pass and move. Penning crossed the ball, who was bombing on. And Feeney was as well um, to, in his defence. Um, and Perry had a shot, hit the turf. It was an easy save. Um, and then and then the goal came. So it was from their from it was from the goal their goal kick, and we won the ball. And get this, we passed the ball eight times. Like I That's generally don't remember matches, us. Isn't it? I, yeah, I generally don't remember us passing the ball that many times in any other game this season. Um, so there was a lot of passing on the left hand side, and Win Winchester gets the ball flicks over to the right to Bloxham, Bloxham to Feeney, Feeney passes up to Ado. Um, and I'll come to Chris now because Chris is a, a huge Ado fan. Um, and one of those special finishes he takes, which you kind of watch it and it doesn't really look that impressive. You know, you just watch it. It just yeah, it goes in the back of the net. But he has this kind of habit, doesn't he, of hitting the ball before the goalkeeper's expecting it. And he clearly hits the ball very hard. Um, and yeah, you must have been really pleased to see Chris, um, Chris see Ado back in the starting lineup. And he'd just come back from injury. Um, 
yeah, he hit that. He hit it clean and low, didn't he? Through a crowd of players. Keeper sees it late, and it finds the bottom corner. Great strike, classic Daniel Udo finish. The boy's got that quality in him, and he, like you say, slight surprise that he was in the team. I had wondered. There was a, there was some hints. Uh, I think it was Ollie Westbury on Twitter had tweeted something on Friday saying Daniel Udo's believed to be not far away. I, t- I tend to find that our local journalists, when they tweet things like that, they're not doing that for no reason. They've got they know something or they've been told something. I had a feeling he was going to be in the squad, but I had a feeling he'd be on the bench, to be honest. I, I thought maybe he was closer than people realised and he'd be an impact sub or something. So to see him named in the starting lineup was fantastic because we were told he was out for six weeks. And I think he's only been missing about three so far. So he's come back a long way ahead of the schedule we were given. But what a difference he makes to our side, and especially in that system where suddenly he's got players either side of him get, getting down to the byline and trying to get crosses across to him. And yeah, he just looks like a goal scorer again, doesn't he? Because he's got the one, but he's had other chances in that game. He looks a threat. He looks confident. He looked happy. You know, his celebration, he took a booking for basically running into the crowd to celebrate his goal, didn't he? So it was it was uh, nice to see. It was, it was just, it was one of those moments. If anybody was going to score the first goal of the... Uh, of the Paul Hurst reign. Tom Blocks would have been nice with that first half one, but if it's not Tom, then I'm certainly happy that it was Daniel Udo. Yeah, it was a really, really good, really good effort. Um, I remember seeing you, Mike, jumping around with your kids. Everyone was going mad. Yeah. Um, and there's something just about a build-up. Obviously, a counter-attack, you know, super fast, not to come in, can kind of build, but it was a really good team goal. Yeah, and I think it took a little bit of a deflection on the way in, but what I really like about Dan Udo is that he... More often than not, his shots are on target. He's not somebody you see lashing it wide, high and handsome. He will get it on target, even if he has to take a bit of power off to do it. And when you're getting it on target, slight deflections can often work in your favour and, and, and wrong foot the goalkeeper. And he, he's very accurate. He, he's really effective. And, you know, when, he, when he's scoring goals, you can, see, you can see why we rely on him so much. And, yeah, he looked absolutely like, didn't he? He was almost up on the back row of the stand in the end of it, wasn't he? But, um, yeah, it, it was so brilliant as well that they scored at our end. You know, for Tom Blockson to have scored in the first half would have been brilliant and all, but for that goal to come in front of a, a nearly full away end, which was rocking, we'd had a good first half, we were all Paulist, Barmy Army, there was probably some sore throats around Shropshire today, but um, yeah, it was brilliant to celebrate with the players at our end as well. So all in all, just just a, an awesome, an awesome uh, goal to be there for. Sorry, Dan, um, maybe take another big glug of your wine, maybe. Yeah, it was a nice goal, Dan. You've watched it back. I'm impressed with what you saw. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very Dan Udo goal. Uh, and my, my criticisms of Dan Udo in the past have never been that he doesn't score Dan Udo goals. He doesn't score ugly goals from six yards. So get a few of them in and we have the real deal. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think everything about it was positive. So um, so that vibe definitely came through. Hopefully he'll sign that contract that the club, the club have been dangling in front of him. I mean, it's yeah, very hard to, to, to know where that's going to go, isn't it? Because you don't know what other offers yeah. are going to come in. You don't exactly know what's on the table in terms of his contract. But if that Dan Ado that we saw yesterday turns up every week, then uh, yeah, absolutely. Get, get that name on a piece of paper. And I've got to say about Udo, in the first half, he was struggling to make it stick a little bit. The ball was coming to him and it bounced off. And you can tell he was coming back from an injury and it took him a little bit of a while to warm into the game. But yeah, the second half, he was, he was at times unplayable until he went off. Um, and it was nice to see him be able to build his performance into the game and get a goal. Hopefully, that's his confidence. The world are good, but um, yeah, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit better at making the ball stick. And and yeah, like like Dan says, he's he's um, got the world at his feet probably. Yeah, one thing that we've mentioned on the podcast previously is about our central defenders um, and maybe their lack of pace. Um, Northampton had one decent opportunity where basically a ball over the top. Um, Pierre had a race with their striker, um, didn't lose it, but didn't quite win it either. Um, and then there was a decent save down to his left by Morosi and. That's one thing we did talk about, Chris, didn't we, during the game, um, that our centre-back partnership, um, like Dunkley's a fantastic defender. Pierre, obviously, he's had a rocky few years. Um, I, I don't, wouldn't say that's uh, the partnership that probably that Hurst will probably want necessarily next season and beyond. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch, won't it? Because we've got a lot of options at centre-back right now. And, you know, it's, it was interesting that that's the partnership he went for. You know, you've got a, the lone lad from Sunderland, Joe Anderson, who could have played in that left centre-back role. And he wasn't even on the bench this time. 
Uh, you've got Jason Shahar, who was on the bench, and obviously Feeney, who'd been shoved out to uh, to right back. So, yeah, it was interesting that Pierre was the one who got the nod, and he went for the two big strong lads, I suppose. And to be fair to Pierre, he did a decent job. And they had Tyrese Simpson up front, didn't they, Northampton? They're big number 16, a big powerful unit himself. And I think Dunkley and Pierre were possibly the two to manage him because in terms of a physical battle, they were very much up to that physical battle. When Simpson was taken off and Northampton rejigged a bit, I did wonder uh, whether that would in turn lead to Paul Hurst deciding he needed to make some changes as well to counteract that. Because, But, you know, he stuck with them and they did, they did all right. They did, you, you've got to be, I think Aaron Pierre can be pleased with his overall performance he's another who probably grew into the game and uh you know he, he got more solid as it went on and it's only going to do his confidence good I was going to ask a question which you sort of answered there already Chris and I was going to ask a little bit about what Northampton had because there is a tendency when we talk about our team and what we want to see our players do that there are of course 11 uh guys who are, who are on the opposite team and I was going to say if they had big a big physical unit up front then Pierre may well be a better choice than than Sraha although Sraha is not you know, he's not five foot four, is he? But at the same time, I wondered if there may be a little bit of a response to what he thought Northampton were going to uh, were going to throw at us. And I guess there was, right? Yeah, it's yeah, interesting question. Yeah, interesting question. I was chatting to a Northampton fan. It was really funny. I went on a Northampton podcast um, in the week to do a preview, um, and I uh, messaged him saying, well, in the podcast, I was saying our best strikers are Doe, but he's injured." Um, I, he, he messaged Danny, messaged me before the game about Dan Doe being in the starting lineup. And then he te- he text messaged me soon after he scored. Um, so and I also chatted to another Northampton fan. Kind of the, the kind of the advantage of doing a podcast for so many years, you have lots of people you talk to. Um, and yeah, um, Northampton said said that yeah, you know, Shooter Town were really good. He was very complimentary about us. He said they were having an off day. Um, and to be honest, he said he actually turned it off after one 0 because he never saw his team coming back. Um, and that's quite a diehard Northampton fan who just knew that it just wasn't our day. And I think that Paul Hurst, the momentum we had. Um, it just wasn't their day. Um, maybe a little bit alluded to what um, Chris was talking about in terms of their match commentary as well. You know, they were ninth in the league table. Um, maybe thought this was going to be an easy home win for them, um, and it certainly didn't turn out to, to turn out to be that way. Um, so yeah, good. Northampton. I just don't think we we're quite at the races, um, but I think also you've got to give. Yeah, it's it's, it's good to do both sides, um, Mike. Yeah, and I'm sort of just going to go back to the point about the, the centre-halves. It's it's not the quickest pairing, absolutely not. But they are two footballers who played a lot of football at League One and above level. And I think Paul Hurst is very comfortable. He could trust them to go out there and, and do the job as as described because they're experienced pros. You know, you throw Joe Anderson in there, maybe Shea's got to talk him through it a bit more. Maybe he's not used to playing in a pair. Maybe he's always played in a three. Same with Strahar, not played a lot of league football. So having two sort of experienced war horses to go out there and, and play as that pair... And I, I get the impression from the socials that they're they're pretty good friends as well and they trust each other and they understand each other's game. So I think it's a good partnership. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him go with that for a bit longer. I don't think you can immediately drop one of the, the young players or the loanees in. If we're going to play a two, it's got to be two guys that know how each other work. Um, just because just because otherwise you've got to have a bit more cover in there, haven't you? But, um, yeah, I thought they were really good. And I thought Dunkley was excellent, especially with getting a goal as well, which we'll come to. I think, you know... He had a pretty pretty stellar day. I don't think he put a foot wrong. No, Dunkley had a very very good game. Um, he was very impressive, and you and you're right about the trust. Um, so in you know we've talked so far about the formation, we've talked about the mentality, we've talked about the passing, um, but I think it's also a really important point to note about the fullbacks. So you're right, Mike. Obviously, not you know you can play four at the back and be super defensive. Your fullbacks don't push on; they sit really deep, they sit really narrow. Um, you know, you have it can be played really defensive, obviously, with a back four, but we didn't. Benning in particular was highlighting Clone Darren, but Feeney was also pushing forward as well. He was quite high up um, at several points of the game. So, you know, that kind of just reinforces the the faith um, that Hurst and Doig had in that Pierre and Dunkley partnership. I hadn't thought of it before, Mike, actually. I think that experience piece is probably a, a big reason about the way they, the way they started. Um, and I thought, yeah, both of them had a really good game, but Dunkley. I mean, it's actually, to be honest, no one had a bad game in the starting lineup. And they all had fantastic performances, um, and that was um, obviously key to that. Um, so then, you know, from a Shrews perspective, we had a really good game. We had that chance um, where we had to play some good football again, and Bloxham had that shot saved. Watching it back, actually, was a better effort than I remember um, in in real time. It was actually quite hard. The goalkeeper got down and made a good save, um, and then we scored um, our second. Um, Shipley, um, corner, um, Dunkley, a fantastic header. 
Um, he's just almost like floating in the air. No one's really tracking him. Heads it into the back of the net. Um, and yeah, great to see Dunkley get that goal, Chris. And yeah, he he very much deserved and a, a fantastic performance from Dunkley. Yeah, a lovely moment. He was, I mean, a free, almost a free header inside the six-yard box. I've got to say, if I was a Northampton fan, I'd be a little bit frustrated at that. If that had been a goal against my team, I'd be wondering how the hell that's happened. But screw it, who cares? <laughs> you know, Can I go on that, though, Chris? It, the first yeah. thing I thought was, what, did they not know what we do with Shea Dunkley at corners? Because it looked like they did. They know. must know. They must of know. Of course they know. They must be, was... The staff must have been, the manager and the staff must have been fuming yeah. because... Like it everyone was an awful in League One, perspective. everyone knows in League One that Shea Dunkley is one of the best. He must have in the last two seasons. He must be up there in terms of central defenders and headed goals from corners. If not the top, he must be way up there. Um, so yeah, I think really the, desire, the desire he scored to, to he showed to score that goal. He basically jumps over and through two of their defenders. You could have put a brick wall there and he'd gone through it and scored that goal. I think sometimes you just can't defend a guy with that intensity, and he was so up for it that. Um, yeah, they, they left him fairly free, but he still had to get there. He still had to head in the back of the net. I buy that, Mike. But also, they've got some defenders who know how to score goals in the opposition. Yeah. You know, I just think if I was that defender, I'd be pretty like, oh, God. You know, my, my other half has just absolutely smashed me apart. And, and they won't like that. And that's great. I'm all for it. I'm here for that. Yeah, it was really good. And the celebration, Chris, with the players and the fans was good again, wasn't it? Yeah, I... You always enjoy a Shea Dunkley uh, celebration, don't you? He, he kind of headed it and just he didn't even break his stride. And the, the salute comes out and he's saluting the away end. And I, you know, by this point, I'm practically delirious. I'm saluting him back, and quite a few other people are as well. It was lovely. It was a great moment. And, you know, 2 0 up, two goals away from home. Two goals. A stat that I heard listening to the radio on the way back, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about this. The last time Shrewsbury scored two away goals in a league game was at Derby County in March last year. So we've gone 10 months without scoring two goals in an away match. Okay, we did it at Notts County in the FA Cup, but in a league game, you have to go back to March for the last time it happened. That's ridiculous. That's utterly ridiculous. So, that, you know, that, that was a bunch of uh, football fans who've been starved of, of enjoyment away from home. And suddenly we're 2-0 up. It was fantastic. Great moment. Great celebration. Uh, yeah, just loved it. Loved it. Yeah. No, no, it was, it was fantastic. Um, and then just to kind of close the game off, um, Perry had a chance one on one in the box. Now, if that had been a Dan Doe in that position, he would have scored that, you know, 49 out of 50, whatever, 99 out of 100 times, Dan Doe would have taken that chance. A real shame that Perry didn't. He was very frustrated with himself, and that would have just capped off a, a crazy game. Maybe, maybe it's a good job we didn't because God knows where we'd be if we'd got that three. But it was a, it was a complete performance. We could have scored four, we had a clean sheet. We totally dominated a team away from home having a good season. Um, and in terms of stats, we had 18 shots and there were decent efforts as well. It wasn't just, you know, like shooting for shooting's sake. Um, so, yeah, a lot of respect has got a credit has got to go to the players for going out there. But I tell you what, though, it was brave. And, yeah, Paul Hurst said in his post-match he was quite apprehensive going into the game. Um, but it was really brave of um, Paul Hurst to pick that team Maybe it's maybe maybe because we're not in the relegation zone. He felt like he, he could maybe gamble a little bit more and kind of implement his his style of play. Um, but yeah, interesting. It was a big call, Chris. Um, and I'm interested in what you've put in the agenda here. I haven't noticed it. So yeah, what what's the, what was your observation about the starting lineup? Oh, I mean, a few things, but yeah, I just put on the agenda things that weren't already on it. No low knees in the starting 11 was one that stood out for me. So the entire starting 11 were contracted players of this club. And of our loan players, the only one in the entire squad at all was Noan Kenner on the substitutes bench. So Joe Anderson was there. He was warming up on his own before the game, but, you know, not involved in the matchday squad. And obviously the other loans are all currently still injured. But yeah, it's, it's, it's rare you see a team these days in League One playing without a lone player, isn't it? And certainly it's rare you see Shrewsbury Town doing that. And I, I don't know what that's an interesting call from the manager. I thought just uh, just the, the approach he took there to that. And I wonder if that does signal anything that's going to happen with our lone players and his intentions over the next few days before the window closes. I'd say an extension to that as well. We know none of the lads signed from Ireland were in the first 11. Um, <laughs> and, and I think it goes back. And, and, and I think that's quite a flippant remark, but it goes back to the point of who can he trust? Who's who's he got there that's got football league experience that he knows can have, have a proven track record. None of the so-called, what we called at the start of the season, the gambles. He didn't fancy any of those to, to play. I know uh, Subawala came on and did okay. Um, 
But I think I think Paul Hurst is going to probably rely quite heavily on the the league experience to to get us over the line this season. He's not got time really, um, in certainly in the, in the first few games of his tenure to start gambling on players or trying to trying to polish maybe a, a, I'm not going to say a turd that's harsh a piece of coal let's say turn it into a diamond. But um, yeah, it's um, yeah none alone. He's none of, and it does draw into question a little bit the, the transfer strategy of the closed season. None of these loanies, none of the none of the gambles. You know, you know, when we're looking back at Mickey Moore, but we're positive today, so we'll leave that for another time. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to talk the Irish lads, to be, you're right. He only brought on Sobawale. I noticed after the game, and I saw it again watching the highlights back on the camera. You see Hurst go over and talk to Sobawale at the end, and he he had a little bit of a chat with him and a pat on the back. And I mean, I'm sure he went around all his players, but I don't know. I, I just get the feeling we might see more of Sobawale. I just got the impression that there's something there I that Hurst he, likes. The other, I two, think he did we well when he came on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was interesting Bowman came on ahead of Matter as well when he did take Udo off. Where do you think Sobawale is going to play in this formation? Because the wing-back role's gone. I, I, it was quite nice updating my squad in um, in-depth chart. Um, got rid of back three. We have a lot of defenders, as Chris has already said. And we've got a lot of strikers as well. Because you think we've got we've got Bowman, Udo. Um, you could maybe play Boxham. Boxham. I think it's clear Boxham's a winger. O'Brien uh, and Matter. Um, so we do have a number, and um, Phillips obviously on loan as well, but unfortunately he's injured. So we've got a lot of strikers, a lot of centre backs. Um, so where do you think um, Shabawali's going to play? Or, or if I almost answered my own question? Well, I mean, he brought, right he brought him on. For, yeah, I was going. He brought him on for Tom Bloxham as a right winger. I'd imagine that's where he sees him play. I, I certainly see him more as a right winger than a right back. The lad's got something. He could change though, couldn't it, over time? He oh, needs a bit good. more coaching, defending. I think that's um, that was one big takeaway I took from the extra game we played wing back. Um, block, um, Dunkley was giving him a lot of feedback. Let's put it that way. Um, so yeah, um, enjoyable to see. Yeah, I think it's. I think you have answered your own question. I definitely wide right in a four three three, um, and that would make me think that as and when Bloxham uh, or any of those front three have 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 issues for whatever reason. I don't know, booked, you know, suspended, all that sort of stuff, injured. Then I think Sobawala will be in his game plan. Um, I, I hadn't picked up on on the low knees issue or, or the Irish dimension issue. But what I would say is I think that it is much easier to bring project players, if we're going to use that term, into a side that's not completely rubbish. Um, and I think if we can have six or seven games where we have, I don't know, three or four wins maybe, then I think all of a sudden it's a little bit easier to play Max Matter. It's a little bit easier, to, and not all of them, to, to play I can't remember his name. The, the new guy who's come on a couple of times. Roland, um, I can't remember his name. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm not sure. I, know, I, I already played somewhere in the middle, but he, he hasn't played anywhere near there yet. But the point is, I think if things are a bit calmer, then then it's just easier to bring in new, inexperienced players. And at the moment, um, well, not the moment, you know, two weeks ago, it absolutely wasn't uh, the right situation for that. I wonder if it's a little bit, I don't know, this is just a thought just coming to my head. Paul Hurst kind of making his stamp on the club. Saying he's the boss, changing the changing the back three, getting rid of it yeah. on the first I mean, opportunity. He could be talk about about Mickey Moore picking the tactic and picking the team. It certainly didn't happen on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, that was Paul Hurst. And I don't think anyone's Hurst. ever yeah. going to question that. No. no one's. No one's that that has gone. No one's ever. And that almost just comes back to a little bit about the weakness of maybe of Matt Taylor in terms of his position in the club. No one in their right mind is ever going to think that Paul Hurst and Doigie, buddy, can you imagine trying to tell Doigie what what subs you're going to do? and get past get to his man Hurst no that's not gonna happen is yeah, it? I mean and you can tell me that Paul Hurst is the head coach Paul Hurst is the manager of my team he's not the head coach he is the manager and good luck telling him that he's got to revert to the three at the centre halves unless he unless he wants to uh, and he did play that formation in Grimsby so if he wants to pick it um, and on formations at Sion Kenner you know Paul Hurst is a good tactician he's a good manager um, maybe we'll play like 4-3-1 maybe and maybe um, Kenner next to Winchester um, but it'll be, yeah, it's going to be interesting as we go forward. And it's just funny, uh, like that now is an interesting puzzle and it's an interesting, something to look forward to rather than something that worries you. And it's just funny how everything's just flipped on its head. But if I were Paul Hurst, Ollie, I'm not going to take this job of all jobs, this job where you've got a big reputation to actually, you know, make worse unless I was able to to, to do it my way. And it also makes me think that, you know, Maybe Taylor probably was doing it his way before. It just wasn't very good. Yeah. Um, now I don't know that, but it just. I mean, if, if I were Hurst, I would definitely be saying, "Well, I will do what I want to do with that team. If it doesn't work, so be it." Um, yeah. And I think it'd be nuts if he took the job on any other basis, really. And and that's good for him, and it's good for us, right? Because he generally knows what he's doing. Yeah. Um. So let's let's um kind of 
bring this bit a part of the podcast to a close. Um, so top three, super quickly, we brought this back for the, the one-off special. So I went for, this was so hard, I went for Shipley, Benning and Winchester. Chris, who do you go for? As you say, yeah, Ollie, really super hard, actually. So um, I went for Bayliss third, Benning second, and Winchester first. So we've talked about Winchester already. I've given my reasons. I thought he was terrific. So, yeah, he was my player of the match, I suppose. And Mike? Yeah, no, I went for uh, Bayliss third, much like Chris, uh, Winchester second, uh, for the reasons we said, and, and Dunkley first for a goal and a clean sheet. Don't get much better than that, does it? And a captain's yeah. performance, I thought, as well. I was going to say, you three saw the full 90 minutes, so you, you have the right to have a top three. I'm not going to indulge in that game, but I do have a top one, Paul Hurst, because taking <laughs> him out of the equation, none of this happened. So I've just got a top one viewing from afar. <laughs> and, and talking of Paul Hurst, um, his post-match, I just love listening to the guy. Me and my brother were driving back from the game and um, like there was one comment which I mentioned, which is hilarious. And I just said to my brother, I said, I just love listening to this man. Like, I just love Ollie. listening to him talk. Apologies for butting in. Before we go to his comments after the match, surely we've got to talk about his celebration post-match when he oh, came on the pitch up to yeah. the fans. Because he came over and, he, you know, he, like you say, he celebrated with all his players. They look like a galvanised group already. They look like they like him. He looks like he's on, he's on good terms. And, you know, he's obviously a very good people person to get people onside that quick. He comes over to the fans, three big fist pumps at the away end. And, and to see him beating the chest on his badge, to show him his love for the club, of, of how happy he is to be back, the instant rapport with the fans again. It was a real beautiful feel-good moment to go home on. At the end, you know, a perfect day capped off with, with a real moment of love between manager and fans. You know, I'm usually very negative on this podcast. I, I went out there, you know, I was like a hippie in the 70s. It was all love, baby. And it's one, it's, that's one of the reasons why you just couldn't miss this game. You couldn't miss this game. It was one you had to be at. All right, all right. And you, you enjoyed the final scenes, Chris? Yeah, it was. Uh, we all we were all waiting, weren't we, for Paul Hurst? Well, because the players gathered for a long time around. They were around the. He made us wait. He made us wait. The team made us wait. The whole thing took a while, didn't it? The players came over eventually, and then you just saw Hurst. He did give it a few seconds for his players to start to move back towards the tunnel, and then he came forward and did his bit. I'm never sure about this whole fist pumping thing. I'm not quite sure where it's come from. It's this, it's this thing you see on social media, and I, I hate it when you see the Steve Evans one. He does it at Stevenage, and he kind of conducts the crowd, and it winds me up a little bit. I think it's a bit irritating. So, I'm not sure that's going to be Hurst every week. I don't remember him doing that, you know, eight years ago when he was last here. But uh, yeah, I, if we win every week, he can do whatever he likes. I was, I was, you know, give us a clap. I don't, I don't need the fist pumps, but you know, yeah. the kids love it, don't they? The, yeah, the old ones behind the goal, and they were the ones making most of the noise. So if they love it, they can have it. Yeah, it was brilliant. It was good, and it's really good to see him. Um, and yeah, the fist bumps and stuff. He's clearly very happy to be here. And it's interesting actually when I was watching um, the extended highlights back for the agenda. Um, the game ends. He goes on the pitch and he turns and he. Um, I believe he was probably pointing at the chairman because he, he claps and he just puts his hands up and he's got a real big um, grin on his face. Um, and yeah, the chairman must be quite happy. Um, he got his man. He got the man that we all wanted. Um, and it started absolutely fantastic. And and he, what did he say himself? He said it couldn't have gone any better in truth. Um, you know, Perhaps Perry could have scored the third with a one-on-one, but that would have been a bit greedy. Um, he said he was impressed with the players, how they did and had moments in the game. Um, he said, you know, we, we we spoke a lot about what we wanted to do. He said, maybe we did a bit too much over the two days. Um, but the highlight for me was just classic Paul Hurst, where he mentioned, said, I gave him a lot of information and some of them are not the brightest. And that's just Paul Hurst, because, like, he just gets away with stuff like that. It was like, and he's... Pure statement really of fact, on the other thought. I've got yeah. no idea what he means and I don't want to know. <laughs> but he just, he never says too much to give stuff away. He never kind of winds the fans up. But he just kind of has this natural, and me and Chris were talking about this pre-match about he's media trained, and you know, you, you know, you could put all four of us in, in in Gordon Ramsay's kitchen and train us to be a chef. It doesn't mean we're going to make Michelin star food. Um, and yeah, Chris, you, you got an opinion on this? Yeah, this media training thing. He did a broadcast degree or something along those lines. I think before he went into management, he was considering a media type career. That's not media training for how to be to do media though. And even if he's had that. So what? To me, it's not about that. What Paul Hurst is, is just a good communicator. He's a good communicator with the supporters. And I get the impression he's a good communicator with his players as well. And surely that's what you want in a manager. He's just good at the job. And he's entertaining to listen to. And did he ask himself any questions? No, he did not. And was that a good thing? 
Yes, it was, because that was incredibly annoying when Matt Taylor did it. So he's like, like Chris said, he's natural. He comes across like you could just be talking one-on-one with him. He answers questions openly and honestly, gives away what he needs to, keeps back what he doesn't. And yeah, he's credible. So that's what he is. He's absolutely credible. Yeah, you said about being open and honest, Mike. Uh, A question that he was also asked was about the transfer window and targets. And he was specifically asked about Nathan Fraser and all the hype that there's been about this Wolves lad that we were interested in before Hurst came. And, you know, Hurst said he was was good. I I was really interested in that. He actually addressed the answer head on, didn't he? And he said um, he'd had a look at the lad, didn't know anything about him. So he'd done his homework. It was all positive. And if it was something that could happen, he would potentially be interested. But at the same time, he said it was unlikely. He said his understanding of the situation at Wolves now is that that's not likely to happen. And it was just really good to hear him address the question and answer something like that without any, you know, without trying to cloud it or make it confusing for us. It was just, it was, it was interesting to hear. And it made me think about how far we've come in one game as well. That wasn't that bothered. You know, I suddenly I don't feel like a striker is the, the answer to all our prayers and what we need. You know, I looked at the team and thought, actually, we've got a striker. He's just scored a bloody good goal today. Um, we've got a team that's actually created him a few chances today. So there's no panic as it were. And I'd rather we get the right players than, you know, somebody who's right now, where does Nathan Fraser fit in that system? If that's the way we're going to play, if he does play, he plays in place of Udo and I'm not sure that's a good thing, you know? So, so yeah, for me, it was interesting to hear and yeah, all positive. Yeah. Just two things on that, Chris. I think that's really interesting. Um, And I mean, it builds a bit on what Mike said before in a way, but there's an authenticity about it. I think your, your response might saying that he was credible. That's just spot on. He is. Um, and sometimes the easiest way to answer a question is to answer it. And it sounds like this boy from Wolves is not coming, but, you know, the door's never shut. And I thought he got that across really, really well. Also, there's an impressive lack of meaningless cliches. You know, I do know that the game is two halves. I am aware of that. I've picked it up over my 49 years on this planet. And, and I just thought it was a breath of fresh air that, that I was listening to a human being who doesn't sound like his dick or anything like that, just telling me what he thought about a football game and a week in football. And it was a, I've listened to that seven minutes twice, and I, I can't remember the last time I ever listened to a manager speaking twice. Um, and and, and it, it, all about that interview was positive for, for us as a club because it sounds like we got a good bloke not that Taylor wasn't a good bloke, but in terms of the way he communicated, it really wasn't the type of messaging that that you'd ideally have. So, all good. Yeah, no, it was good. Yeah, we 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 talked obviously about Paul Hurst returning on the last podcast, so we don't need to you know kind of repeat any points. Um, so, kind of just like looking ahead, um, then um, obviously we've got the transfer window now. There's a few days left of the transfer window. Um, I'm sure, and um, Mickey Moore and Hurst and, and and the team have been busy today. Um, and they'll say they'll be back in it on, on Monday as well, going for it. Just looking at the fixtures ahead, we've got Cambridge at home on Saturday, the, the real homecoming of Paul Hurst. Dan, are you able to make that one? Uh, hopeful, hopeful. I think it's an interesting game because the expectations now are that we win on Saturday. And yeah. to be honest, Cambridge are struggling a bit like we are. It's the type of game you'd want to win, but I think expectations will be sky high. Worth noting as well, Ollie, four of the bottom six play each other on Saturday. Um, Cheltenham play Wickham and Fleetwood Dan's play Dan's done some prep. Just a little bit. Well, I had to because I didn't see the game. <laughs> but I think it's quite interesting. Four of the bottom six play each other and we play Cambridge. So there's quite a lot of action down in that bottom third, which means you know you don't define a season on the last Saturday in January or 1st of February, wherever it is. Um, but I think it could be an interesting weekend. Yeah, no, no, it's definitely um, interesting. Obviously, Shrewsbury went up to 15th um, on the, the back of Paul Hurst. Um, and yeah, there's obviously quite a few teams below us, Cambridge being one of them. Um, and then after that, our fixtures, um, are, are, you know, we've got a bit of a mix really for February. There's a lot of games in February. There's a, a Saturday, there's a ch- two Tuesday nights. Um, we've got Derby County away after Cambridge. Then we've got Barnsley at home, but Wigan at home, um, Reading away. Um, and then we've got Lincoln City um, at, uh, away from home on a Tuesday night. So, yeah, some in- winnable games in there, lads, I'd say. Um, it's not a, a terrible fixture list. Some games in there you probably expect to lose, maybe Barnsley and Derby being two. Um, but at home on a Tuesday night, maybe we can get something. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm, you know, looking to book hotels in, uh, you know, in Wembley just now. But it, it is nice to have that enthusiasm to start looking up the league, isn't it? You know, start thinking what is possible rather than what we're trying to avoid. I mean, one one uh, one win doesn't mean that everything's good, everything's rosy. You know, we might lose the next game. But um, it's just nice to think you know, possibly we could start building something in the second half of the season. The season isn't over, is, is, is what we like to think. You know, stranger things have happened and it's nice to have positivity. What do you reckon, Chris? 
yeah, it's nice to have things to look forward to because you, you start to think a relegation battle is is is, is wearing, isn't it? Be, if we could push up that table a little bit, obviously the playoffs, you know, that's there's a 16 point gap with 17 games left. We're not going to do that. But at the How same time, the most positive person on this podcast. <laughs> How does that happen? What's going on? But we finished 12th last year. Is 12th out of the out of range? Possibly not. It would it would take one hell of a run, I think, for us to do it. But given how poor we've been at times this season, how good it would it be if we ended up matching last season's finish? So for me, that would be some kind of target to aim for for a starting point. And if you ended up at the start of the season saying, actually, we're where we were last year, or you know, who knows, a place better or something, that would be incredible. Given how it's been for up to right up to now, and that would hopefully give us some momentum to take forward as well. We're Very two quickly. points from 12. Sorry, Dan. We're two yep. points from 12. Um, and for me, there's no reason why we can't get in the top 10. It can happen. No, I'm not saying I'm not saying it will be, I'm not saying Paul Hurst has failed or anything like that. If he doesn't, Dan, but yeah, you know, yeah, seems, and I think narratives matter a bit. I mean, I think you're probably right, Mike, that May 2024 and booking at Wembley is probably not the most sensible, but but you know, you can dream about May 2025 because if we could make a statement this year that Paul Hurst is going somewhere with this group of players. I mean, a fair few of them have got contracts to run to next year. Then next summer, um, it's easier to attract players into a team that looks like it might be going places. So I think it does make a difference as to whether you finish 11th or 14th. Um, because it shows that in the time Paul Hurst has been at the club, things have really moved forward. He's got the same bedrock of players. Do you fancy coming and join us? Because next year, I tell you what, we're going for it. Uh, And that sort of, I think that's much easier than when you say we finish 17th. But I tell you what, we'll be be much better next time round. So it does matter. And it's nice to be thinking about, you know, whether whether finishing 10th is on the radar even, you know, at all. Yeah, and and to do that, um, we'll probably need to sign a a few players. Um, the transfer window is still open. Um, so yeah, Chris, what do you what do you hope is going to happen in the transfer window? Uh, well, based on the fact that we seem to be now looking to play a back four as our preference, we clearly need a right back. Uh, there's a lot. I mean, Feeney did a great job. We've talked about that, but I think it's a lot to ask him to play there for the next 16 games. And even if you did ask him to do that, what happens when he picks up an injury? Who else could play there? I don't see any other options. So I see a right well, back. Have I missed something? But Bennett plays there, doesn't he? Well, how fit is he at the minute? There's clearly he wasn't no, but, another who wasn't on the bench yesterday, was he? Yeah, yeah. But if if we have ten games and Bennett has to play two, well, he's not that bad, yeah. and he's a fullback. Well, I think it's interesting to just know that Paul. And again, this is the beauty. Paul Hurst actually tells us stuff. He actually tells us stuff in post match, and he said that Northampton played very narrow and go inwards. So their wingers and their wide players were not going to force we need Feeney to go to go on the outside. And well, me and Mike, I'm not sure what position you used to play, Chris, but me, me, Mike, and Dano are all fullbacks. Um, and there's nothing worse than having a speedy winger running down the wing because it does make you like a bit of an arse. Um, so I think the fact that they were cutting in made him feel a little bit more sh- assured playing him there. So I think fullback would be a big one, Mike. Can I just get this I, guy? Mike, yeah. I remember you at centre half, Mike. I just got, I played where I was told, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I always fancied myself a centre mid, but I never got picked. Um, I would just say, don't forget that uh, Paul Hurst has history in, in picking centre-halves at four-back with Omar Beckles, who played most of a season out there uh, and did a... I was right-footed as well. Everyone thinks exactly. he was left-footed. He's actually right-footed. And so, if you you know, there's a thing about, you know, you can play three centre-halves and pivot them across when the full-back goes, you know, so that there's a little bit of play in that as well. So, you know, he's, he's not pulled this out of his, out of his um, rear end. He's done it before. So, you know, again, feather in his cap. Yeah. But I do think it's a position we'll look at. I think it's if they can, I suspect they will bring in a right yeah. back over the next few days. And I do wonder if he'll look for another wide option as well. Because, uh, right, you know, he, he went with Shipley and Bloxham. Both did really well. But Bloxham, especially young lad, I'd imagine he might want other options on the right. I know we've talked about Sobawale, but maybe he'd want someone with a bit more experience or a bit more knowledge in the position to play on that side. And potentially competition for Shipley. Although I'd be wary about that because if, if they're going to be loans, I'm not sure getting a loan left winger is going to work. Because I, I'd frankly, at this point of the season where promotion's highly unlikely, I want to be developing our players with an eye to next season. And somebody like Shipley, I'd rather he's on the pitch playing football rather than a left back from Hull or something who's going to then go back to that club and doesn't benefit us. So if we do bring in players, I hope it's because we genuinely need them rather than just added bodies, as it were, if that makes sense. And tell you what, though, doesn't it makes the narrative better? Come and join Shrewsbury Town. The loan managers, the other clubs have seen this, have seen what we've done. It's one game, of course, 
But surely for Mickey Moore, it's easier to sell this Shrewsbury Town than the Shrewsbury Town we saw two weeks ago. Definitely. And I think, it, yeah, it, it, the only problem is the amount of time he's got to do anything on a permanent yeah. basis anyway. You know, we've left ourselves short of time. But, so, the, only, the, only thing I, the only other thing I'd say is striking options. We have lots of them. I don't think much of many of them. Dan Udo is my starting striker. And I think, you know, Ryan Bowman you know, works hard. I don't think he's got loads of goals in him. Max Matter, I don't think he's got any goals in him. And so I wouldn't mind Dan having a little bit of support. Aidan O'Brien? I think I, I would be amazed if he's not gone again. He's going to yeah. have more managers and he's got starts for Shrewsbury Town, I think, by the time mm-hmm. he finishes his contract. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't mind Dan having a bit of support. I want Dan Udo to be our starting striker, but, you know, he needs to come off with half an hour to go and somebody with some legs and, and an eye for goal. Yeah, somebody like that to come in. Cool. So any any final thoughts before we, we close the, the third podcast in eight days? Just well, the... I thought this was supposed to be a short one. An hour and one minute we've got so far on the clock. What's going on? <laughs> I think I am the new Mike Price on this one, but I just, just, let's just remember there will be bumps in the road. You know, oh, we, of course. Yeah, and, you know, I know Mike's not having it for those. He's shaking his head. No, no, we're never going to lose a game ever in the future of football. We're going to win the Champions League in three years, that type of stuff. But if for any bonkers reason that doesn't happen, then we, we need to try desperately to remember that, you know, we, we aren't suddenly a brilliant football team. We are going to be a better football team than we were but we, we you know it's not all going to be plain, plain sailing that's what makes being a football fan brilliant in many ways but um, but crikey it certainly looks a bit better now than it did um, than it did sort of 48 hours ago Sounds like a man who wasn't at Northampton that old uh, Ollie, what do you reckon? Yeah, yeah I think I've so. finished my glass of wine guys I need some assistance <laughs> yeah. yeah any final comments Chris? Uh, it's just great to have him back, isn't it? Like just being there on Saturday was it was a must attend to me. Sorry, Dan. It was what I had to be there for that moment. And it just felt different. It felt magical and it felt right. You know, Paul Hurst is Shrewsbury Town's manager. That's something I've missed being able to say. It's lovely to have him back. And yeah, I I'm just excited. As Dan says, we're not going to win every week. Of course we're not. But I, I have more hope that we'll win more than we have been. And yeah, he had a great- on. We yeah, you, Leon. Leon. I, I, I need to I need to message um, Liam on on WhatsApp and send him a message say you need to get on to to Umbro, um, get the gilets the the the, the Umbro Pro gilets on not just adults kids as well uh, and I think they'll they'll fly off and everyone in Shrewsbury will be wearing a gilet and when they either that or get the through. Oxen ones for next season out now so so it's still relevant next season. So yeah, get them out. Get the GLAs out. Um, so yeah, thanks everyone for listening. And we won't be doing a podcast every single game unless we, I don't know, beat Cambridge 8-0. Maybe we'll do another podcast. But um, yeah, thanks everyone for listening. And um, yeah, chance of winning is going to be fun. Something else to look forward to. 